Hello, beautiful. And what I want to know is, what is really good in your life today? This is Kia, and this is another episode of the Female Veterans Podcast. I'm really excited. I'm really excited for this guest today because I have been sort of following her journey for a while. And I know that she's doing big things out here and she has a heart that is so huge and she just has such a big mission and I cannot wait to share it with you. Okay. First of all, you know how I love when I can get a Navy shipmate up in the house. (laughs) And today I got another one of my shipmates with me. (laughs) Okay. Now I love everybody. I love everybody. Okay, I love all my female veteran sisters, but you know, I'm Navy. I'm a Navy girl. So what can I say about having Pamela Hill here with me today? She is incredible, and she is the co-founder of the Heal Network, which we will learn all about a little bit later on. But I'm going to launch into this by saying welcome. Welcome to the Female Veterans Podcast, girl. Oh my gosh, Kia. First of all, that introduction, I'm over here like, wow, mama, can you hear me? (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I, I, we were talking before, this is the first interview I've done in 2021. I'm just so thankful that I get to do it with you. So thank you for having me. I'm too honored. (laughs) I'm too honored. So um, I'm going to jump right into it. I'm going to ask you my first question, and that is, what made you join the military? Yeah, that's that. That is the question, isn't it? Um, (laughs) I grew up in a really small town in the middle of nowhere. Shout out to my hometown, Neoga, Illinois. I wanted to travel. I wanted to get out of the Midwest as soon as I possibly could. I was ready to go. And to be honest, I grew up in a home that was abusive and I knew that I couldn't depend on my family for my next step in life as much as I love, still love them and have a lot of compassion for kind of the things that happened as a kid. But yeah, I had to, I had to figure out how I was going to provide for myself. And to be honest, the military, it was just the easiest route. Um, I actually had a couple full ride scholarships to a couple different colleges. I was a great student, but I just, I wanted to be able to provide for myself and have stability. And that, that was the biggest thing. And the travel, honey, I was ready to go. <laughs> Let's go. I'm going to see it all. Let's go. <laughs> so I feel that I actually, um, am a child abuse survivor and um, had a really dysfunctional upbringing, but I was in Philly. And for me, I wanted to go to college, girl. I wanted to go to college, but how I was going to afford that, my mom had no idea. And she asked me and I had no idea. And her dream was to go to the military. And so she was like, you know what? You're going to go to the army. You're going to go to the army and you'll be able to take care of yourself. She used to say oh, so three hops in a cup. Your mom was happy? Oh yeah. she That was her dream. What? She she didn't get to go because she got pregnant right at her last age. Um, she aged out. So, right, I think she was 37 when she got pregnant with my little brother. So, she was training for boot camp. She was, like, working out every day. I can remember. I was so little. <laughs> and, she, and she was going to go. And then she turned up pregnant. And she was like, I'm not going to the art. And then she, it was her last, like, year of eligibility. So, that was always her, like, dream. And, well, she couldn't do it. So, and I could do it. it. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. I ended up doing that, it. That is, that is quite the... That's impressive, I have to say, to do that for your mom. My mom, um, 
was not about that life. <laughs> my mom was a Marine brat and my dad was a Marine. Um, actually, my grandfather survived Pearl Harbor. I, every man in my, like, you know, every generation going back to, I don't even know how long, um, has served in the U.S. military, but I was the first woman to enlist in my family. And that really was an item of contention for quite some time. It's like, what are you doing? That's not safe for women. And my mom was terrified. Yeah. I could understand how that could be. So at first they were like, what are you doing? And then as I, as I continued to serve, they were like, oh, wow, you're like tough and strong. <laughs> And smart, and, and you you've been all over the place, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, it's almost like you guys could have just like believed in me, but it's cool, like, <laughs> you know. But sometimes that's life. You have to you have to believe in yourself, and even if you don't know how you're going to do it, you just go and go, you go do it, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you fall, but I'm very thankful um, for all the folks that I met when I was in the military. It really shaped me as a person, good and bad, some of it, but. I wouldn't change that experience for the world. I always say that my military experience was amazing until the day it wasn't. So I really feel you. In fact, that's why I do this show, because I know we all have a story, good or bad. It's it's the story. And I will be the first one to tell you that I am patriotic. I'm a patriot in the truest sense of the word. I my blood bleeds blue. But, but I saw some things and experienced some things that would make it absolutely easily understandable why a lot of people come out of the military and then don't tell people they ever served, refuse any services, have a major distrust of the government. So I get it. I get both sides, which is why I tell both sides of the story, right? When I got out, I, cause I had, I had been working in hair salons pretty much the whole time I was in the military as a side hustle. I wanted to feel like a woman at work because the other job, I, I, it wasn't safe to be a woman at work, you know? Right. Um, so by the time I got out, I was ready to go to beauty school. I had already been managing salons. I was ready for that career. And I launched really quickly into Paul Mitchell and became an educator right away. And just really adored and loved my clients. And I tried my best to just, people would say to me like, Oh, so-and-so joined the Navy. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not talking about sea stories. Like I'm not doing the veteran bro thing. Like, no, leave me alone. I'm a hairdresser. Bye. Mm -hmm. You know, it took me many years to recognize that those eight years of my life formed me. And the things that were so traumatic and horrible, I couldn't just, I couldn't just, you know, sweep them under the rug anymore just because other folks had, because I still had to live with those memories. And if I didn't work through those problems, they were going to kill me. And that's basically, I almost died, you know, several times. And then it was like, okay, girl, what are we going to do here? Because the way you've been living isn't working. (laughs) The way you've been living is not it. You know, I, I had a serious cocaine problem. A lot of people in my life were very worried about me if they were speaking to me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to really do the work to heal some relationships with my family, with my friends, former colleagues, you know, just, I, I went down a path that I never should have gone down. 
And then I had to come to terms with that. Like, okay, how much of this is my responsibility? How much of this is me running away? And what do we have to do to change it? Um, and that's the journey I've been on for the last couple of years. And it's, it's brought so much joy to my life. I can't even put into words really. That's incredible. What a journey. I mean, and I I definitely want to hear more about that. I want to dive into it, but first let me back up and Mm. ask you this. Um, my next question is what was boot camp like for you? So I played sports in school and physically speaking, boot camp was like, oh, okay, push ups, like, okay, that's, but the, the part that was more challenging, and I knew it was a head game going in, right? You watch the war movies and the boot camp movies, full metal jacket, like, this is my rifle, this is my gun, I'm ready to go, <laughs> right. you know? But um, boot camp was, was interesting because right away I could tell that being a woman was something that was exotic here, you know? And I remember I, I showed up to boot camp and, um, I, I'm a very athletic person and I'm a girly girl. So I'm almost always in like short shorts and tank tops, man. And it was August. And that is definitely what I was wearing to boot camp. I wouldn't even think about it in my head, you know? And, um, everybody started calling me Barbie and cheerleader right away. And I was like, okay, this is, I, I'm just here to work, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like, it's, let's not do that. Um, mm. But I mean, I remember my recruiter hitting on me and telling me like how great I was going to look in summer whites and stuff. But, but I was so young. I didn't, I didn't understand. What right. I, I, I just was like, okay, cool. Like, thank you for that, I guess. But yeah, it, it, from the beginning, lots of comments about being a woman and how do you think you're going to be able to shoot a gun? Are you kidding me? You're going to be a master at arms, you know? And it was, Military Police Academy was the same way. Everybody doubted me because I'm a very feminine looking woman. Um, okay, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold yeah. On. So <laughs> no one can see you but me. Okay. So I'm yeah. just going <laughs> to make sure that everyone has a clear understanding of what's happening here. This girl <laughs> looks like a doll. I'm just saying, I, I'm saying it with a lot of love. Okay. She's gorgeous. And so with that being said, not that you have to be an exceptional beauty to experience getting, um, sexually harassed in the military. Okay. You just have to be a woman. (laughs) Right. 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 So, but I'm just, I'm just pointing out why the hazing of being called like a cheerleader and all of that stuff would have been a particular hurdle for, you know, up in a really conservative religious home um I was not a big partier when I was you know growing up I grew up in the middle of nowhere so I was really experienced with men um Mm -hmm. more than maybe your average 18 year old my father kept me very sheltered Mm -hmm. (laughs) he kept me far away from any of the mess and so I entered the military I had no idea what I was walking into I had no idea you know, the comments that I would, sexual comments, that things that I had never even experienced yet. I was an 18 year old, you know, very Christian girl. <laughs> like mm-hmm. <laughs> That I think was everything, you know, like, oh, you have to do this work today. Great. I'm a workhorse. What do you want me to do? I'm, de- I'm, I'm here to do it. You know, I, I liked the discipline. I liked learning how to fold things. I liked having tests and I liked passing them, acing them and that part of the military was great for me because I love showing people that I can do it. 
it just, I always knew when I walked into the room, it was like this at every command, go to every command, somebody, people meet you for the first time. And I would walk into the room and everyone would, you could, they would start placing bets about who was going to sleep with me first, openly having these conversations in front of me, you know, um, asking me if I have a man as if that has anything to do with our work today. Right. Asking me, I mean, I remember my very first command, I was, I think I was 19 at the time. I was a seaman, seaman heel. And there's a second class that had just reported to our command from Guam. And he got my phone number off of the roster and texted me and asked me if he could, I apologize for the language, tongue jack my shit box. I was 19 years old. And this is somebody that I'm supposed to like report to. Right. Oh, yes. What? And I'm just looking at my phone like, okay, how do you respond to this person when they're your boss? And um, that's something that I had never uh, done before. I was 19 years old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I'm I do know. to work the next day and look at you like that's a normal thing. What? But the thing is, at the same time, you know, I as, a, as an MA, as a master at arms, military police, all we ever did was train, constantly training, physical training mental games, you know, and passing boards and stuff to me, it just became like, okay, they're going to try to do this shit to me. Yeah, that's fine. I'll just keep going. But also I was working out constantly. I had so much anger. I was drinking constantly too, just to deal, you know, and it's no, it's no wonder why we have so many vets that have substance abuse issues because we have this bizarre culture that you don't understand unless you've served. And substance abuse is so much a part of just getting through it all, you know? And it's like, okay, the the military has a zero tolerance policy for drugs, but there's so much drinking. And then you get out and it's like, well, I know, but got a zero zero tolerance policy out here. So (laughs) where's the cocaine at? At least that was my experience. (laughs) I mean, I don't know, but like on my base, um, I definitely remember the first couple of years I was staffed after boot camp because I, I went to boot camp in Great Lakes, but I also was staff of staff there. So I stayed in Great Lakes after A school, after core school. And um, and so once I made that shift, the first, like, I think probably two years, there was no drug testing. And then and there was no drug testing. So, but I didn't think anything of it, right? That didn't even occur to me. Suddenly we had a drug test and I'm like, oh, we're drug testing now. And I remember somebody telling me that they had just busted a huge cocaine ring on the base going from all the way from E1s on up. Right. So now that they were, they were going to be testing regularly. Okay. So, I mean, zero tolerance policy. Yes. (laughs) But are there things happening that probably shouldn't be happening? Yes. I mean, I remember there was a captain on a ship of some of my friends who got busted for smuggling cocaine. Mm. He got relieved of his position and then went to another boat. <laughs> right. oh. I was like, okay, so his he just moved his, his operating base to another another boat. He's cool. Like, like I guess it depends on how valuable you are. Uh, I think it depends. Yeah, well, it depends on the color of your skin and if you're an officer, honestly. Like, that's just, just how it is. Real. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I, do that, you know? I mean, it is what it is. We saw what we saw, right? Mm-hmm. 
So were you able to make any close Mm -hmm. friends when you were in boot camp? Oh my gosh. I am still very close with a number of folks I went to boot camp with. Oh, I love Um, that. Actually, you know, I, I hope I can just tell this story really quick. One of my oldest friends, I met him first day of boot camp. Lovely young man. His name is Darren Grant. He uh, is from Jamaica, but he grew up, I believe he grew up in Queens. He lives in Queens now. He's a fireman in New York City. There was one day, listen, I grew up in the country, okay? And all we ever did is swim. And I'm in the Navy, it's boot camp. So of course I'm going to pass my swim test, right? And I remember during holiday routine and boot camp, right? That's when you can write letters home and relax and take a long shower or whatever. A lot of the black recruits would have to go do their swim remedial tests. Mm -hmm. First of all, why are they doing that when it's supposed to be holiday routine? That doesn't make any sense. But secondly, why don't these folks know how to swim? And it was, it was genuinely a question. I'm the brownest looking kid from my hometown. Okay. So (laughs) there were a lot of things that I just didn't know. And I looked at these kids coming back and I was like, how come none of y'all know how to, don't know how to swim. And they looked at me like, excuse me. (laughs) Uh Right. But I just really didn't like, I was perplexed. Darren sat me down and he's like, heel, I'm going to tell you this because I don't think you realize how racist that just sounded. Like, I don't think, you know, right. And he explained to me like the background of, of why a lot of black folks don't get the opportunity to swim or they're told that they shouldn't learn, whichever. Mm-hmm. And then I had so much more compassion and I'm like, yo, do you want me to go swimming with you? You know? And I, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. And to me, that was my best part about, about the Navy is you meet folks from all over the country, if not the world. Mm-hmm. And if you forge a great relationship with them, you can learn a lot, make you a better person. You know, um, I talk to Darren as often as I can. I'm super proud of that man. He's a fireman in New York, very educated. He was in the Navy for a long time. And um, yeah, it's people like that that hold me down now when I'm out here talking about veterans rights and Mm -hmm. the things that happened to us and the system, you know, why it wasn't built for our success. I mean, it's, if it wasn't for the folks that I've, I've met and known and served with and had lifelong relationships with, I don't think that I would be so inspired to do it, you know? So, yeah, I, I have so many, so many great people that I've served with that I, some of them are still serving and they're great leaders, you know, and I'm very, I'm very proud of the folks that I uh, went to boot camp with. Very proud. I love that aspect of boot camp too, because so I grew up in both the city and the country. So kind of weird, mm. but I went to private school in the middle of Pennsylvania on a dairy farm, essentially a very, oh very big, big dairy farm. <laughs> and um, it's the school uh, actually sort of owns Hershey chocolate. So shout out to Milton Hershey school, by the way. And, but I'm from Philadelphia, from West Philly, actually. And so I had, (laughs) so I just had this, this sort of dual life growing up. And, and by the time I graduated from private school, it was very, very diverse. And I, so I had this um, understanding of the importance of diversity and being around everybody 
and and having that compassion and acceptance. So when I went to boot camp, I got even more of that because everyone that I knew was mostly from the East Coast. Like there were some people from that come come in from maybe other parts of the states, but very, very few, right? When I got to boot camp, it was like just a complete melting pot of everybody all over the country. And I got to, I remember Sunday after um, church, we would be all helping each other, like shine our boots or like, and we'd be talking and stuff. And I would get to hear about what New Orleans was like, or what California was like, or like, and just hear about what it was like for them. And it, um, it was so bonding and it was so amazing to connect with all these people with different views and different upbringings and spoke differently even. And it was just so, so cool. And the thing I love about your story though, is that um, the compassion that your friend showed you for educating you when every, like every single, you already, you're already meeting some difficulty just by appearance, because let's face it, people often do judge a book by its cover, right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and on oftentimes people think, you know, if there's a pretty girl over there, she has it easy when oftentimes it's not easy at all, right? It's hard, almost like a burden. It, th this is, you have to put it in perspective because I've been, if I'm being totally honest with you, you know, my, my parents had me in baby modeling and, and doing musical theater and all of that from a very young age. So I've been experiencing that kind of attention my whole life where, mm -hmm. you know, they'll either be really drawn to me or really polarized. Right. And what I've learned is that there is a privilege that comes with being very attractive. Mm -hmm. It's I do I do get more attention than say someone who doesn't look quite like me. And I do when I speak, people listen, and people will sometimes want to hurt me. Those are those are all of those things can be true. But what I have learned, and a lot of this has to do with my time in the in the military. I know how to protect myself, right? I know mm -hmm. how to handle it. If something goes awry. And I have the great fortune of, okay, if people do listen to me because of the way that I look, I better give them something good to hear. Mm, May West said a quote like that. <laughs> I think, I think it was, um, how does it go? Oh my gosh. I think it's, if you, they're all going to be staring at, at me and listening anyway, then I better yeah. make it good or something like that. Yeah. Really a great quote along those same lines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's so many things that I see in the world, things that I used to just sit in my kitchen and, and do drugs over, right. That I, that make me sad or that I see injustice about, or I, you know, just th these things have to change so that our people stop dying. Well, okay. Instead of me snorting a bunch of rails of, of, of blow and being upset about that, why don't I write something about it and then deliver it in a place where people will listen and maybe make some changes. So that's what I'm trying to do now. That same passion, I just tried to put it in a healthier place because the issues are still there, right? Mm -hmm. The things that haunt us are still there. We don't just because you start going to therapy and you start, you know, eating fruits and vegetables doesn't mean that you're not still going to have bad dreams. <laughs> that is um, true. You know, so it's for me speaking on those things allows more healing for myself and hopefully for other people. That's, that's really where I'm at with it now. That's amazing. I mean, it's just so powerful to see someone transform their life like that. And um, 
I'm, I'm excited to dive into that in just a few more <laughs> minutes. But before I do, I'm going to ask you about your transition to a school and then to staff. What, what was that experience like for you? Um, well, so I, I am, I went to a school in San Antonio, Texas on Lackland Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. Um, we trained the master at arms a school, uh, trained in the same schoolhouse as the air force security forces. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep it G that education at that schoolhouse is a million times better than these cops out in the civilian world get. I mean, you know, they, they drilled into us what deadly force is, what, what, you know, the, the levels of force and what's justified. Someone has to show opportunity, capability, and intent for you to use deadly force, which is a force a person uses causing or should know would create a substantial risk of causing death or serious bodily harm. It's drilled into us. They tell us every day, if you are going to use deadly force, you need to be able to justify it in a court of law. And so that was just the beginning of, of, you know, my training. I eventually specialized in anti-terrorism and force protection and One thing I will say about the military is that they do have great training for police work. And the things that we see going on in civilian police departments, you don't, you don't see nearly that in the military. And it, it honestly shocks me when I see things in the news, like that would never go down in the military. Um, But a school was more of the same, except we had a little bit more freedom, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, I remember I had a lot of attention and I also had a lot of women, women sailors who did not like me. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was rough because I, I, you know, I I am who I am. I'm very friendly and very open. I like people. I I don't ever expect anyone wouldn't like me, you know, because I'm nice. Why wouldn't you like me? Um, And I, I got my heart broken a little bit a, a few times from women who just, couldn't get past the surface of what I looked like and how men reacted to me. Um, that's the thing about the military is that women can sometimes be really tough. We have a lot that we got to deal with. Right. But when you find the women that are, that are, that got your back. Oh, you better keep those real close. <laughs> yeah. You better keep those real close. I have a couple of great sailors that I serve with. One's an officer now, one's a chief. One just got out and she's doing great things in the civilian world from that era. And those are people that I can still call and say, what do you think about this? Or, oh man, I did this interview and I, I wish I hadn't said this. Or, oh man, they're saying this about me on blogs. What should I do? And they give me great advice. You know, these are people that I've known for 15 years now. So you know, it's a double-edged sword, literally. Like it, there was, there was tough times with some women. There was a lot of just boys being boys, as they say. Um, and I think some of that I've still blocked out because there's just so much of it throughout your whole time serving, right? It's just right. comments about like, oh, the guys were saying this about how you must suck dick, and it's like, why were you talking about that? Oh, but boys will be boys, right? Like, I'm sorry, what did I do to you? And I just said, like, I bet you're terrible at, uh, at going down on, on, on women. You should prove to me that you aren't bad at it. But, you know, and it's just like, why are we having so much sense? Like, aren't we here to learn a job? What is it? 
Really? Really? I was such a baby, dude. Like, I was so young. And, yeah, I was not prepared for that. They really don't prepare young women for the onslaught of attention that they will receive. And the thing is, you're in a uniform. So, you know, you're not even in your cute shit. You know what I mean? (laughs) I got my hair in a bun and maybe some lip gloss or some chapstick. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everything is ironed and shined. So you can't say that it's something that I'm wearing. I'm wearing the same thing you're wearing. (laughs) Do you know that um, when I was in the Navy, I did not wear a drop of makeup, not a drop. Maybe my brows, because my brows are very light. <laughs> so I, I was real. But like, I did not wear a drop of makeup for a long time, for a lot of years. And I always wore my glasses. Mm. And I never had any problems until I changed that. Until I, the day I, I think I was maybe two years in. And also had a boyfriend for a long time. So I really, and he was big, he was huge. So I didn't have any problems. Everybody knew we were together. But mm. um. But it wasn't until he left, he he actually came out here to the West Coast and we split up. And I started, I decided, you know, I had a breakup. I'm going to have a new look. You know what I mean? I'm going to get rid of my glasses. I'm going to get some contacts. I'd never worn contacts before. And then I was like, you know, my I had some girlfriends. I was usually the, the friend of the guys, right? And I had some girlfriends, like a bunch of girlfriends in the Navy. And, um, you know, they were all into getting dolled up and stuff. And so I was like, you know what, maybe I'll start getting into a little bit more makeup. I only would wear it if I was like really going out somewhere, but I would never wear it to work. And I started to um, go to more things outside of work with other veterans. And that's when I started to get more attention when they would see me like, oh, with makeup and all of, and they're like, oh, well, wait a minute. Like, oh, you, and then, and then I started to like have more issues. But until that point, you know, I was sort of, I was known as the weird one (laughs) because I am kind of, I can be weird. Makeup shouldn't make you a target. You know what I mean? No, absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. It's something so simple. In the civilian world, like women wear makeup all the time and it's not a conversation. It's not like, oh, you're wearing makeup today. Oh, oh, you got your hair done. You must want attention. No, what I mm-hmm. just want to feel like you know, I'm I've I mean, I'm a hairdresser in my soul and in my spirit. And so I was always changing my hair color. I always kept it in rags. But there's still always that, especially in the, the master at arms community, there's always somebody that wants to just piss in your Cheerios. You know, somebody's like, I'm going to ruin her day by saying that her hair is out of rags. And then she's going to have to take some time to prove that it isn't. And then she's going to have to talk to chief and then look, she's in trouble. And it's like, dude, no, I'm not in trouble. You are just all up in my stuff when you don't need to be. My hair is fine. Stay in you your lane. Stay- right. You can't just be like, yo. So then I started walking around with the instruction for everything, for how my nails are supposed to be, what color your lip shade is supposed to be, you know, what kind of makeup you're allowed to wear, what your hair is. I had everything highlighted and sit in my pocket. This is how they train MAs anyway. you got to have all your notes. So I was ready with all the receipts like, yep, got it right here. Which card would you try to play today? You're not, it's not going to work. But the thing is, that's, that's how I 
made rank so quickly is that I, I studied everything. I always aced every test, every board, everything. I made E5 in under two years going in as an E1. And that also brought me a lot of negative attention. I, I hit the MA2 spot right away. And I sat there for the rest of my career. I got out as an E5 as well. It was like, because after, after you hit that one point, the E5 point, then if your leadership wants to mess with you and keep you from making first class, oh yeah, they will. And they did. And every time I reported sexual harassment or sexual assault, it got even worse and my career hurt from it. I probably would have been an eight-year chief if it hadn't been for those things that happened to me. I got a 96 in the ASVAB. Like I was, a my, my PFAs were always killing it. You know, I was in great shape. I was very dedicated to the job to proving that I was capable of everything. I would take on every collateral duty. I would manage everything. I would organize my first classes stuff for them. And all it took was, was me telling somebody to fuck off too loud. And then I'm a problem sailor, you know, you're that girl. Yeah. Oh my God. When I was in Kuwait, I remember I was in charge of birthing and I had reported my chief who assaulted me and that was swept under the rug. But in that process, the chief's mess. So for people listening that don't know, chiefs in the Navy are E7 and above. They're enlisted non-commissioned officers. And there's there's a relationship among chiefs. It's called like the goat locker. Like they, they have each other's backs. And I reported my chief. And so um, the chief that was in charge of me for birthing came in and completely turned that birthing space up and down went through people's closets, tore apart their beds, went through all their stuff and said, Oh, this place isn't up to code. You guys aren't keeping this place clean enough. MA2 me isn't leading you guys properly. You're going to have to take it up with her. And then they're telling everyone, Oh yeah, we know, we know MA2 is a problem. She's a troublemaker. She just wants attention. Well, we're going to give her attention. Wow. And this is after my boss had just assaulted me. And I was like, should I report it? As a leader, as someone who had been in the Navy at that point, I think for six and a half years, as a, as a police officer, right? I know how this process is supposed to go. But they were like, hey, he's married. He's going to retire soon. And mm. the sapper who was um, attached to me, she was actually sleeping with him. They were like little deployment husband and wife. So all the cards were stacked against me, you know, and that was the time when I was like, yeah, I'm getting up. <laughs> this is <laughs> why am I here? Like I can, I can be successful at something else because I'm tired of my body not mattering to these folks. That's so fucked up. Yeah, it is. It really just doesn't ever get any easier to hear. And It's actually shameful how often I hear assault stories on this show. Like it is so unbearably common that it's just, I mean, something has to be done, you know, and and hopefully by people coming on and sharing these stories and people hearing them and hearing how often this is part, this is one part of the story. You know, there's been a movement for decades, literally decades of, you know, women service members coming forward and saying that these are systemic issues. Mm-hmm. And 
we deserve more rights. We deserve to be believed. We have we have dealt with long-term effects of PTSD without any help because of this and you owe us, you know, yes, that's been going on for a long time. But I think in the last year, um, those rumbles turned into like a fever pitch and we're not taking, we're not taking like no for an answer anymore. And it, what's beautiful about it is that we've all kind of come up and said, yeah, Hey, you know what? Yeah. It, it just took us so much longer than the regular Me Too mo- movement, you know, and the Time's Up movement because, you know, it's ingrained in us not to speak on these things. It's ingrained in us to say, I'm proud to be a sailor. I'm proud to be a service yes. member. I'm, I'm proud. I'm a veteran. I'm a veteran. Mm-hmm. God bless America. And it's like, okay, it's okay to have a complicated identity with that. And, you know, you can say that you serve your country. You can say that the system is messed up and you can say they did something horrible to me. All those Absolutely. things at the same time. Absolutely. Like I said, I'm a patriot in the truest sense of the word, we'll say. And I think it's okay to to feel like that. Like I'm so proud to serve my country. Like you're saying, I'm so that's what makes me a patriot, actually, is the pride of the fact that I did this. I volunteered, I put my life on the line, I gave up my human rights, I became property of the United States government, and I chose to do this, and I'm proud of that. But I did see some shit, and I'm not right. gonna stay quiet about it either. And I think that's actually patriotic too. So I, I think it's the most patriotic thing that you can absolutely. do. Absolutely. I, I get so upset, and this is actually a reason why I, I, I'm taking a little bit of a break from activism, not completely, but when folks start saying things about Colin Kaepernick and how I didn't serve this country to watch him to, to watch him kneel, I did. I absolutely served my country so that Colin Kaepernick can kneel. Are you kidding me? Thank you. <laughs> Just thank you for saying what? that. Like, that is, that is exactly... And just to set the record mm-hmm. straight, he was sitting and a, and a veteran wrote to him and said, right. can you kneel instead? Because that is a sign of respect to our country. And out That's of right. respect for veterans, man started to kneel. So, I mean, I'm sorry. Sometimes I just got to talk my shit. But <laughs> when you start talking about patriotism and being a veteran, don't don't write the narrative for me. Because let me tell you something. I served... For black people. I served for indigenous folks. I served for people in the Asian community. I served for the Latin community. I, I served for our people. Okay. I didn't serve for corporate interests or for football. We served for people. Thank you. Yes, we did. Yes, we did, girl. And the people who defend this country to this day are people that look like you and me. They're not people that look like, well, Anyway, there are people that look like you and me. Wow. I will say this. This country is protected by people who have a heart to serve. And we come in all shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, and nationalities. And when we are working together, we should be doing the job. We should be focused on the mission. And while we're doing that, a lot of us get broken and damaged and wounded and we come out not the same as we went in and we need to heal. And we are okay. Everybody loves veterans when it comes to political theater. But when it comes to the real issues that we're facing, we we all we got. Right. Right. So when it comes to 
why it took me 10 years to get my VA disability compensation to be awarded just because mm-hmm. I have invisible illnesses. I was fighting that. I had to fight that. I had to help other veterans fight their shit because you know, nobody you, was giving a shit. There is such a hard, arduous, confusing, shameful process. I mean, it took me years. I'm actually still completing my claim right now. It should be done in the next couple of months. Um, it took me years to say, you know what, I'm going to file a claim because I didn't want to have a conversation with every other VA representative and who are you calling me and what is this? And Oh, you need another paper. You need another document. You need me to prove, Oh, you need someone to write a letter. Like you have to be mentally fit for that whole process because (laughs) they're, they're, they're looking to disprove you. And that alone is triggering when you haven't been believed. And then throughout the process, I'm realizing, oh my gosh, I have chronic migraines. I never even realized that's attached to my military service, but of course it is. You know, I've, I have sinusitis from serving overseas next to an oil refinery. They made us sign a paper that we knew that it was going to mess up our sinuses. But I mean, what am I supposed to do? Be like, oh, you know what? This is going to mess up my sinuses and give me migraines for the rest of my life. So I'm going to go home now. What? That's not an option. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Excuse me. Um, I know I joined the military and I have to follow orders, but, and you're telling me that this is bad for me, but also my orders are to here. So I'm not sure if I should say that this, should I check? No. Hell no. You don't check. No, you sign the shit and you keep going. You sign all these papers. Right. And it's like, you, you, I remember we got off the plane. It was like a 30 hour travel day, like so Mm -hmm. many planes to land at this airboy base. And then they drop you off. They say, go change into a fresh uniform. And then you have to sign all of these in doc papers and you don't even know what you're signing. Like, you know, like, okay, now you you're in the fifth fleet now. Welcome. You can't do any of these things. And if you do those things, you could go to court martial and you're just signing. <laughs> Cause I mean, what else are you going to do? There is no option, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a so, joke. Excuse me. I think I would like to speak to my attorney. <laughs> <laughs> I will get back to you after my attorney reviews these documents. Oh my God. I can only imagine if I behaved that way. I was already, <laughs> but if I was like, no, Jag needs to review this. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> they would for sure be gunning for you and oh my gosh. gunning for you they would be probably already were I yeah. mean <laughs> so I guess I do have a question because I know mm-hmm. that you were serving you said you said it was six years before you had the issue with your chief oh that specific event but I experienced military sexual trauma six separate times in my career Girl, you're going to have to give me a moment. <laughs> okay. I need to take hey, a I, deep I breath. I moments for myself, so I hear it. Let me, I'm just going to pack my bowl while you do that. Okay. You pack your bowl, honey. And speaking of packing your bowl, I just want to take <laughs> that moment while I'm trying to adjust mentally to what I'm about to hear, because you know I'm going to yeah. have to ask questions. It's all um, good. I just want to say that um, while she packs her bowl, That if you or someone you know are suffering and you have no idea how to treat your pain or, you know, 
multitude of other ailments that can be treated with the use of medical cannabis, um, then please do your own research. I have an episode. It's with my friend I went to high school with. She's a cannabis nurse now. The field is blowing up. It's called uh, the Kush Nurse. And she is incredible. I'm going to have her come back and talk some more. So the point is, while Pamela is packing her bowl to treat herself, I'm sharing with you that there's an upcoming episode um, that talks more. I'm going to have two more episodes about medical marijuana. For those of you who don't know, I have um, April Pride from How to Do the Pot coming um, in the next couple of episodes as well, who uh, she runs a guide, a pot smoker's guide for women to help you um, learn and educate yourself and make your own choice. Um, So those episodes are coming. And I thought that was a good moment to announce that (laughs) while you you prepare um, to smoke some cannabis. That's perfect. I didn't even (laughs) realize you were doing all of that until we were chatting, you know, before we started recording. And I was like, oh my gosh, we are so aligned. (laughs) We are super aligned. Like, I want to listen to that. I'm going to follow those people. I need to know all of those things. Mm -hmm. I I just picked up smoking weed. I I got hit by a utility van while I was riding my bike in san francisco um hey lifelong athlete you know it is what it is Uh, but i got i got hit by utility van and i had so many aches and pains and i was working as a cosmetology educator at the time and one of my colleagues was like you should just smoke weed and i was like huh oh my gosh my body healed so quickly and that was the beginning of me loving um cannabis as a means to treat all sorts of Ailments, but I mean, anyway, all I, sorts. I can't even go into all of the things that it can treat and improve. Oh, yeah, it's like <laughs> a, a series of podcasts. That's not yes. even one. Yes, I would have to do a series for sure. But why would I do it when I know two podcasts that do a great job doing it? And I will have them come share their information with everybody because, well, I believe in these holistic alternative therapies because when I kicked my VA addiction, which is meaning Great. I kicked off. All the medicines that they had me on. And not only did I... Just the bag of pills. Right? Like, just, I was like, what? I'm not, I'm not even 40 at the time. (laughs) And I was just like, why am I on all these medicines? And I feel miserable and I feel like I'm going to die every single day. I'm feeling worse. And one of them actually had me suicidal, girl. Like, my family had to do an intervention. I was going to die if I kept taking that. I just did not want to live. You know, and and that you don't need that on top of everything else you're dealing with when you're trying to heal through everything you experienced while serving, um, and after or other parts of life, whatever you're going through, Absolutely. and your, your health Absolutely. is struggling on top of it. So when I kicked off of all of that stuff, I decided to go holistic, and um, I I sort of detoxed my body and then started treating my disorders like uh, autoimmune illnesses. I changed my diet. I started doing all this research and experimentation on myself because uh, if anyone's got something to lose, it's me or gain, right? Mm-hmm. No harm, no foul. And then I found all of these wonderful things that actually helped me have a life, right? Because I know what it's like to be in bed all day and be yeah. like, you know, young and feel like, why do I feel like I'm 90 years old and miserable and I can't lose weight and I feel so polluted and I feel so unhappy and unhealthy and depressed and I can barely take care of myself or my family, my kid, you know, and just in that life. 
and just make mm-hmm. the decision that I I want to live life. I don't want to I don't want to just right. be on auto autopilot through life living in this in my bedroom in a bed, right? Because I'm so just detached from everything. Yeah, I ha- I had the same experience. I I um well, I mean when I stopped doing cocaine, I was like okay, I'm going to stop doing everything for a while. And then I'm going to start putting the things into my body that I actually need. And man, it transformed my life completely. You talk about holistic medicine. I couldn't be a bigger believer in that. You know, there are so many things that are growing on this earth that are given to us as gifts to nurture our bodies. And medicine is important, but there's a lot of different types of medicine, Mm -hmm. you know? A lot of different types of things. plant medicine, right? I mean, mm-hmm. even if you're super religious, right? You you know, I mean, it's right there in the Bible. We all the plants for us to use, right? I'm gonna just say it right now. Jesus smoked weed. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Jesus smoked weed. I don't care. Listen, <laughs> he was a carpenter. He traveled all over the place. He was a speaker. He had to work on his power to walk on water. You think that took, listen, you know, he was stoned when he was like, I gotta, I gotta figure out how I'm going to walk on this water. Jesus smoked weed, period. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Sometimes I'd be saying something, but listen, Jesus smoked weed. Oh my God. I did not know this interview was going to be so fun. Um. (laughs) Okay. So, so let me, let me, let me dial it back. Okay. Because we could talk about a lot of topics. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And holistic health is probably one that we really love, especially plant-based medicines. But I just will say this one last thing before we go back into your story is that there are so many of us dying every day. Right. And, and there's so many of us, it's ridiculous. And if you are contemplating ending your life, then it's worth looking into to see if this can help you before you make that choice. You, you can, you can choose that another day, but today do the research and try something, try something plant-based and see if it, give it a little time to help you and, and see if it will make a difference. And I am like 99.9% sure it might not be cannabis. It maybe it's ayahuasca or maybe it's microdosing or maybe it's ketamine infusion therapy. Maybe it's something else, Yeah, but Uh, it's an alternative treatment. It might not be mainstream, but there's a lot of research out there that you can find and it could save your life or someone you know and loves life is my point. So what do you have to lose? Yeah, probably nothing and everything negating. So that's my soapbox moment. I'm going to step back down off right now and let's go back in and pick up where we left off at my shock, awe and disgust of what has <laughs> happened to you. So yeah. can you tell me like, how did, how did this, so we know how it started because obviously you're beautiful and men harassed you nonstop, but yeah. how did it begin to escalate from, cause a lot of, we all get harassed, but not all of us get assaulted. So how um, did this escalate? Well, I, the first one happened when I was 19, I was, uh, on watch in a guard shack with, I was a seaman apprentice, I think at the time. And I was on watch in a guard shack with an E5, second class uh, master at arms. He was my watch commander. 
and we were um, standing watch over the same spot, but he was actually um, my relief. So I thought he was coming in to let me go use the head, which is what we call the bathroom in the Navy. Um, and I, I asked for permission to use the head and he said, you're not going to use the head until you give me head. And I was like, absolutely not. That's not oh, happening. Um, I'm not doing that. And he proceeded to stand in front of the doorway of the, uh, watch shack, guard shack, jerked off into a, like a wide brim water bottle, um, and then poured it on my head and made me stand watch there with him for the rest of the shift. I couldn't use the restroom. I just had to sit there. So I like slipped it back. Like it was gel, like a fucked up something about Mary moment. and. Um, that was back in 2007 and there was no widespread reporting process back then. I was 19. I was a baby. I, my boyfriend at the time who I later married was the second guy I ever slept with. So I was very inexperienced as a young woman, as a sailor, as a person, you know, and, um, I reported it. They moved him to the night shift. And said, "There, better, right? He's he. You got what you wanted. He's married. He has kids. Don't embarrass him." And I was immediately like the whore, and um, was treated like that. You know, from that point on, it was like, "Oh, she's, you know, she's a receptacle." Even though I never, ever, ever messed around with anybody at that command, it was never like. <laughs> the idea of of me being sexual with any of them to me they were just they all felt like predators because they were so much older than me myself and my roommate at the time were the only women stationed there and the only women in security and we were both seamen you know non-petty officers and everyone ranked above us was e5 e6 chief so we didn't have really any advocate. Um, there was no advocate assigned to me. There was there was nothing like that. It was just like, you know, deal with it. I actually had a female chief tell me she she was about to get sent to Rota, Spain, and she was there for like two weeks. And she said, this is a man's Navy, so just learn to work your way through it. And I remember thinking that that's advice that I'm not going to take. I don't believe this is a man's anything. Why am I here if this is a man's Navy? But even back in 2007, you know, and there have been women serving for decades before that. But even in 2007, it was a very misogynistic experience from the beginning. And for me, you know, I grew up in the country. My father raised me to be an athlete and a scholar in addition to being a pretty girl, you know? So I held my own anywhere I went, but this was a brand new, I had no idea the world could be this ruthless. And, um, pretty much from that point on, I, you know, they, they have, they have that horrible saying in the military as a woman, you're either a bitch or you're a slut. Well, I chose bitch and I was a huge bitch. I was, and that was the only way I knew how to cope with it. You know? Yeah. I totally understand. I mean, I served before you and 
in my base, I didn't experience stuff like that. I mean, I experienced and witnessed a lot of bullshit. Let me, let me make that clear. But that kind of thing, like there were so many women, I think is what made the difference. You know, there were so many yeah. women stationed with me that, you know, it was, it, it wasn't the same sort of um, boys club. While it was a boys club, but it wasn't the same. It's not the same as the stories of women that I hear where there were very few women on a base with men. You know, my community, the master at arms community or MAs, other branches call it MPs, whatever. There aren't a lot of women. It's not, Mm. it's a very masculine uh, environment. And I understand why, you know, the mission is masculine in nature. It's not a nurturing environment, but Mm. the treatment of women in those masculine environments is toxic. And that is toxic masculinity. There's nothing wrong with masculinity when it's, good leadership that upholds the value of women. But when we're talking about this type of situation, we're talking about, you know, extreme sexism, sexual harassment at minimum, sexual assaults consistently with no accountability and no consequences. So what that teaches a young sailor like myself is that I just have to deal with this Mm -hmm. and no one needs to hear about how it makes me feel because what they don't care how it makes me feel you know I was married to another sailor for a couple of assaults and I never told him because what he actually ended up assaulting me as well but the thing is it's like you know that this is a part of the culture and to tell someone who really can't do anything about it either it's only going to traumatize them more if they don't blame you too because damn everybody else seems to be you know yeah. So you don't really have an advocate. And I, th- I had girlfriends that I, you know, served with at the time that I never told. And that obviously we've had those conversations now because I'm in a place where I'm talking about it, but they see the decline in your behavior. They see the, you know, that you start to withdraw. I would sit in my rack in Kuwait and just, just sit there in a cocoon and wouldn't want to leave, you know, and my girlfriends would bring me food and lotion and things because they knew enough to know I just needed to be nurtured you know thank god that we had some women there honestly thank god because there weren't many of us and I remember I was in Hawaii on a RIMPAC mission um a couple years before this deployment and I told my senior chief that I wanted to to volunteer for that particular deployment and she said don't go to Kuwait and I was like what do you mean don't go to Kuwait I want to go to Kuwait. Plus, it's a launch pad for all a bunch of other cool stuff in the Middle East. I want to go to Kuwait. And she said that the sexual assault rate is out of control there. And I didn't listen to her. And I volunteered for the deployment anyway. Wow. And it, it, I mean, they say one in three women are sexually assaulted in the military, but I think mm-hmm. it's higher than that. Oh, for sure. Because a lot of women don't report. I mean, I have tons of women that have come on the show that said that they didn't report. And why? And I mean, at, it's, it's you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, either way. You and know? you know what? Actually, you are my second master of arms in the Navy, female to come on the show, also with multiple assaults that were perpetrated within her command. I'm and you know, here's by her superiors. Like, I was, a, I was a great leader. I am a leader in my soul, in my spirit. It's who I am. 
I would have continued to stay in the military as a woman leader with those experiences if I felt as though it was it would be safe for me moving forward. But I think the violence has only gotten worse. <laughs> we, we've been in so many wars. We've got so many service members with anger management issues, with violence issues, with DUIs. Of course, the violence is getting worse against women. Of course it is, you know? And so I, I would still be it. I would totally be a chief or an officer by now because I love the challenge of being a woman. You know, I, I loved serving my country. I loved having a, a uniform that just told you exactly what I was about. Tell you right there. Expeditionary warfare. What's up? You know, the civilian world is different. It's it's a much different place. But I I just felt like I, I wouldn't be safe in the military anymore. Even even being a military cop with hand-to-hand combat training experience, I didn't feel safe anymore. You know, um, what my vocal coach just said to me, didn't they teach you hand-to-hand combat while you were in the military? So we were talking about this. And I said, no, not, at least I didn't learn it. Right. And so I'm so like, it, it's so upsetting too, to know that you can be taught that and how to defend yourself and, and still, you know, you, you fall prey. And then it reminds me of Danique, actually the other master of arms that was on an earlier episode. She said, I had my gun. I had my gun on me when I was assaulted. Every time I I wore a gun to work every single day that I was in the military and I was assaulted six times. One of the times that I was assaulted was during army combatants training. (laughs) So, you know, you, you're, you've got your hands you're supposed to be, you know, doing restraining movements and fighting the other person with the, with the tools that you've been taught. But if you're an asshole, you're going to put your hands on a, on a woman. And what am I supposed to do? All he can say is like, oh, my hands just slipped. Get over it. You know, I need the drill. So when you're seeing these assaults, there are various forms um, such as being groped and grabbed and, you know, those kinds of things, or do they get worse? Much worse. Um, my chief, the fifth assault, there was another one after that. Um, my chief in Kuwait, I I had a weapon on me and he removed my pants and and attempted to force himself on me. Wait, what? I'm sorry. he, He attempted to force himself on me. Yeah. To force himself on you. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you're supposed to like walk around and see this person and have everybody treat him like he's the angel and you're the problem. How did you get out of that situation? I just dealt with it. Oh, I ran away. Yeah, I ran. I, I'm a fast runner. I fucking kicked him and ran. But no, he, the rest of that deployment was me doing everything I could, diving into every collateral duty I had. I used to send care packages to the FOBs, the forward operating bases throughout the fifth fleet. And, um, you know, I was doing that. I was focusing on paperwork. I was helping with people's transition packages as a career counselor. I did every, every collateral duty that you could do as a petty officer, master at arms, forward deployed. 
you know, and I still got the worst eval ever, even though I had literally done every job that we were doing on that, at that command. (laughs) Well, exceedingly well, no, it just, I, I spoke out about something that was done to me and that it ruined my career. I mean, I left, I left Kuwait sobbing every day, just like, Oh my God, (laughs) you know, how am I, I had a year left on my contract. Like I have to do this for another year. I have to go to another command and deal with somebody's nonsense for another year. It was, all I have to say is women who are still serving right now are just superheroes. Yeah. Did you report any of these? I reported two. Um, one time I called civilian police, um, when I was fighting for my life from someone who had assaulted me. And, um, when they found out that he was a cop, they let him go and they escorted me home. So you were physically attacked Mm -hmm. and you called the cops and the cops just took you home because he said, I'm a cop too. What happened was he was a reservist. Um, we've been deployed together. We were on a road trip because I was getting stationed back in San Diego and I had to move my car from Florida to San Diego. And so he came with me and he was abusive and controlling the entire trip. Uh, He raped me one night and I told him that evening that I was going to call the police. And he said, I'm not afraid of the police. I am the police. Wow. Um, And so I was just like, I just got to get to San Diego. I just got to get to San Diego where all of my friends and family are. I'll be okay. Just got to get to San Diego. And we were in Vegas the following night. And he said, "Um, let's go get married. And I was like, absolutely not. No, he just got divorced like two months before that. Um, And I was like, no, I'm not marrying you. Like, can we just go to a club or like a show or... I don't know, dinner. Um, And he started to fight with me and he actually um, had brought his gun with him on that trip, his service pistol. And we started to fight over the gun. Um, He took my phone. And so, I mean, hand-to-hand combat for real grappling with this man, very large, very strong man for like an hour. and in one split second, I had an opportunity to grab the phone and the gun. And I don't know why, but I grabbed the phone and I called 911. And the second they picked up, he dropped the gun and sat down. And the cops came and they said, well, Nevada law, we have to take one of you. And I was like, take him. Hello. And um, they started interviewing both of us. And when they found out that he was a cop, they said, um, you know, if you don't want to press charges, like it's a lot of work. We know you want to just get back to California. So why don't we help you pack up your truck and we'll escort you out of town. So the Vegas cops drove me out of town and I left him there in the hotel room. Um, he still tries to contact me, that guy. He's still, um, yeah, he, he swears that I'm supposed to be his wife. He's a stalker. Yeah, I have several of them. So it's, you know, you got to manage them. But um, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. That was way too nonchalant. And (laughs) I've got to ask, how do you manage stalkers? Um, You record what they're doing and you report them 
and file restraining orders if necessary. And um, I mean, I've been I've been on the road traveling as a speaker and a community organizer for the last year, and I have dealt with a lot of stalkers and agitators and folks who are drawn to me for whatever reason. Um, and it's just an unfortunate reality of the, the career path that I have chosen as a public facing person um, who talks about controversial things and looks the way that I do. Um, it stirs things within people. And yeah, I, I was in San Antonio a couple months ago and a guy um, asked me if I would smoke weed with him and I said no. And then he exposed himself to me and was like stroking himself. Yeah. That kind of stuff happens to me all the time. So um, you have to pick your battles. Like what's worth calling the police? What's worth just, you know, keeping my keys in my fists when I'm walking down the street? Or do I scream at this person who's screaming at me? Or do I just dip somehow? You know, you have to. That's the beauty of being a veteran for me, though, is that I've been taught how to move in situations to keep myself safe and to, you know fight if I owe, but only if I need to keep it at the lowest possible level. So in a lot of ways, that training has prepared me for this part of my career because, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, you're so strong. I suppose. I just know that if I'm going to commit to speaking out on these things and doing it my way, I have to stay safe. Absolutely. You know, so. Absolutely. And the work you're doing is so, so necessary. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that the message of healing will continue to bring good things to people because I think right now, especially, you know, as we kind of tiptoe out of this pandemic, as we've dealt with so much racial and sexist injustice in the past year, but really our whole lives we start to recognize that as a collective, we need healing, you know, like I'm telling you all these stories of, of violence that I've experienced from men and, you know, horrible child abuse and addiction and all of my struggles, right. Health issues. My story is not so unique. We all have Things. I mean, maybe it's incredible that I've gone through all of these things in my life. And a lot of that has to do with that. I stay running and moving and going. So, you know, I'm going to meet a lot of people. Everybody's got something, whether it's a family trauma or it's on the job pain, or it's just like, man, my, I'm sad and I don't want to get up. We all have those things. We've all had them. I, I saw this meme the other day that was um, celebrating a celebrity because they had never had a public crazy moment. And I was like, no, dude, we are all entitled to some crazy moments. Life is crazy. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. You want to tell me that Brittany didn't deserve to have that public meltdown in 2007? She deserved to have it, girl. (laughs) We don't know what she was going through. I've, I've been hospitalized a couple of times. I've had moments where people were really worried about me. You know what? They, sh- they should have been. Life is hard. We don't always know how to handle it. Sometimes you just want to play Edward Forty Hands and smoke some weed. <laughs> 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 and so I think we have to give each other compassion in that. And, you know, that that's my takeaway from all of these things here. It's like, yeah, horrible things have happened to me. 
And I'm looking forward to continuing to build a life that I love. And I wish that for my whole community, every woman veteran, especially who carried so much on our shoulders, like treat your shoulders a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. get, get, they need a massage, get them a spa trip. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like take it, take a trip with your man or your best friend or yourself and breathe. We, we've got to start doing the healing work, you know? I love that message so much. It just <laughs> speaks to my soul. So yeah, I just, I love what you're doing. I love everything about it. Um, and I want to ask you all of those experiences that you had while you were in the military with all of that and knowing that you had all of these assaults take place, um, were most of them in Kuwait? Is that where they? No, only one of them was in Kuwait. The other five were throughout the country. Just a different command. So it, it multiple commands. I just wanted to yes, have an understanding. One in New York, uh, two at different commands in San Diego, and one um, happened within my marriage in my home, but it was military related. Wow, girl, my heart just goes out to you. No woman deserves to ever experience one. No woman should ever have to deal with that. Like just be virtue of the fact that we're women, that this is part of what our life is. <laughs> right? Like it's crazy when you put that, like, oh yeah. Because you know, the thing is, I, I don't like for I have a lot of great men in my life, and I think that's important to speak on because yes. you know, I have a, a little brother who's like a big brother to me now, and I have some really incredible male friends who have been there for me in not in some really ugly moments of my mm-hmm. life and I don't like to worry that right so I'll mm-hmm. I'll update like for example my business partner like I'll update him and be like okay so I have a stalker but I'm handling it so don't even worry <laughs> how does one not worry I would still be worried <laughs> well the thing is that they also know I'm a very strong woman and I know how to handle my my problems and I only ask for help when I really need help but also you know, it's a fine line between keeping the people that you love updated and also holding back on stuff when you know you just got it. That's what we do as women, right? Yeah. We're like, well, I'm going to take care of everybody and I don't want anybody to worry about me, but then who's going to worry about me? Well, somebody should worry about me, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that you decided to get out because you didn't want to keep living like that. What was your mm-hmm. transition out? like complicated and oftentimes when i speak to to service members that are getting out i I ask them like hey do you have a plan and if if you do have a plan do you have a plan b because i had a pretty solid plan i got out and i was going to fashion school um managing a hair salon in the lower east side I moved to new york it was like i was living out my terry bradshaw dream (laughs) Um, and then my mother died Oh. And that the single hardest thing that I've ever experienced in my life. Um, it was unexpected. She died of suicide. And oh, my so mother had, Yeah, thank you. Um, my mother battled mental illness my entire life. And a lot of the things that I went through as a child probably wouldn't have happened if she had been around more, but she was in and out of mental health care facilities. And also had a great career. She was a brilliant, brilliant woman and a very loving friend and mother. Um, 
but she just she lost she lost out on the, the the fight with her pain basically and i was not mentally prepared to process the loss of her at that point in my life and in my career i had just gotten through a divorce i had been hiding sexual assaults from people you know i was trying to just build a brand new life of being this fashionista you know writer about town in new york city living my dreams um but then my rock just disintegrated and it it opened up so many wounds all at once um so that's why i say have a plan b because then what happened was i i also went through a breakup at the time too he was like i think you're you're better off without me so that was like okay i got nobody my mom's gone my ace is gone what's up yeah girl I packed my car and I moved back to San Diego and I moved in with one of my best friends and her kids. And that was the best thing I could ever do because her children are my nephews anyway. And she was going through some things herself and we just got to heal together. And then I went to beauty school. So I leveraged my experience being in fashion school and and majoring in marketing and branding and having a successful blog that I had been writing. And I came to the school, I I started to do really well in school. That was step one. Got to make sure I'm doing well. Step two, I was like, okay, I need to make grown-up money when I finish because I won't have my GI Bill anymore. So I uh, essentially, I asked them if I could start writing for the school. And they looked at my stuff. And some of the people in the staff had actually had read my blog before. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. So I started writing a fictional uh, web series about what it's like to be a Paul Mitchell student. And then I leveraged that into a whole social media marketing plan for them. And by the time I graduated, I was teaching social media classes to my fellow students. And so I said, listen, you got to hire me. Like you need me. I'm here. Let's go. Party doing the job. And I, I was the first ever social media specialist that Paul Mitchell schools ever had. And I, was able to do that while also working in the salon. So I was building my clientele. I was learning more about hair. I'd already learned a lot about it, um, you know, hustling while, while I was in the Navy. So um, two years into that job, I got a, a job offer to teach social media and haircutting at the Paul Mitchell School in San Francisco. And I was like, I'm going. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was huge moment for me. It was like, okay, all my hard work has, has paid off. Um, and that was a really, I really enjoyed that time in my life of teaching cosmetology, teaching students how to brand themselves. Also Paul Mitchell schools in general, uh, they just have a really great curriculum for uh, managing your life. And I really needed that after the military because I didn't want to do it the military way anymore. So mm-hmm. I caught onto that curriculum and I ran with it and I, um, that was all really, really wonderful until, um, I started dealing with a stalker and, you know, I came up to San Francisco and I was here. I, I was in the music scene. I was building my business. I was working for Paul Mitchell and that's what the Bay area is all about creativity and and hustling and culture. like I was just in love with it all. Um, yeah. And then I, someone started stalking me and no one believed me. Um, what? it was, it was so very triggering. 
people thought I was just being paranoid and overreacting to seeing someone following me home. And they were also making threats. Um, How could people not believe that? I just, it's beyond me. uh, Without going too far into it, just for legal reasons, he was someone who was in my life that it was just more convenient to believe that I was stricken. You know what I mean? Oh, Um, I got it. So it just, it got to a head and I got to a point where I was just doing so many drugs just to get out the door in the morning. It was literally doing cocaine before I left for work. As soon as I got off work, I'd go out drinking and then just do more cocaine because that was the only way that I could feel safe being in public, but being at home by myself didn't feel safe either. And that nearly destroyed my I, I was doing so many drugs. I would go out on a Thursday night and not come home until Monday morning. And then I would do drugs throughout the week. I would do drugs while working on projects for clients. You know, I would just, I, it was the only way that I could go But for someone like me, whose brain is always going, being on drugs was crippling. I would go and go and go and go and go and go and go. And then I would crash so hard for days and barely leave bed and think about how horrible of a person I was. And, you know, and then I couldn't get out of bed again until I had another bag of cocaine. Like it was just this horrible cycle. And I started to just care about doing drugs. That's it. That's all I, that's I, all of my interests, all of my hustles, all of my things, you know, I'd worked really hard for years and years to be, financially comfortable and have a great lifestyle and I threw it all away on drugs it was I almost died I I got to a point where I was just fantasizing about dying and I shared that with one of my very dear friends who lives in the bay um I told her she's like what are you gonna do today and I was like I think I might throw myself into traffic and she was like, I'm sorry, if that was a joke, that was not funny. And I was like, no, it's really what I was thinking about. And I started crying. And she's like, okay, you, you have to go to the, the VA hospital. And I was like, yeah, I will. She's like, no, will you promise me that you'll go? And I said, yeah, I'll promise, I'll promise that I'll go. God bless my friends, because I'm a very strong willed person. So you really can't tell me anything. So I'm sure it was hard for her to let me go that day. And just trust that I was going to end up at the hospital. She was texting me all day. I was walking around the city just thinking like, yeah, I know they're going to lock me up for a while. So I just want to look at some pretty stuff first. And then I checked myself in and I don't, I told them like all of these horrible things happened to me my whole life. I don't know how to handle it anymore. I don't know. I'm not doing it the right way. I'm on so many drugs right now. And most of the time I just want to numb. So. I know this is going to be hard, but I, I, someone teach me how to do this because I can't. And, um, that began the hardest three months of my life when I went to trauma recovery. Um, I stayed in a trauma recovery campus in the South Bay with several other women veterans who had PTSD from a number of things. And they make you work on your shit, man. <laughs> you, I had to write over and over again some of the things that had happened to me and talk about how those things made me feel. And I spent my whole life as a storyteller packaging things up in a certain way so that other people could process them the way that I wanted them to. Like, it's a control thing. 
So I would try to edit all these things that my therapist was having me write out. And she's like, no, you're not editing. This is a stream of consciousness. And then you're going to read it to me. I had to give up control. And that was so hard. And honestly, to be totally frank with you, I'm still working on getting up control. I talk too much, you know. Um, I'll be all up in my brother's business or my friend's business and asking so many questions like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, you know, you can use this. Well, have you tried this? And they're like, how are you, Pam? (laughs) You know, if you just keep talking, it'll deflect. And those are some lessons that I, at man, they, they held a mirror up to me. Like these, you have anger problems, you know? You're not, you're not always unsafe. Not everyone is your enemy. I was in a really dark place where I just didn't know how to process things anymore. And so I genuinely feel like I, it's a miracle that I'm here. I've beat a lot of statistics to get here. Sometimes the stressful things will happen now and people in my life will say like, you're not going to go use again, are you? And I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't be further from that because that person didn't even understand how great life could be, had, had not unlocked any of it. And I don't, I don't need cocaine anymore because I've, I've figured out how to actually enjoy my life. So when I say that I feel like a miracle and even sometimes when bad things happen to me and I don't even know how to handle it, you know, there are days, we all have these days, I kind of laugh now because I'm like, well, I'm going to figure it out because I mean, look at all this other stuff I've been through, you know? And I genuinely believe deeply in my soul that the reason that I have survived those things is so that I can talk about how I've healed and also what we need to change in this world so that people stop hurting because you said it before and I say it all the time, our people are dying. People ask like, oh, why do we have veteran suicide? Hi, hello, how you doing? Mm -hmm. I can tell you why. I can tell you why. There's so many reasons throughout the veteran experience from from where they're targeting our recruits, what homes do they get our, our young service members from? What kind of stuff are they coming in with? So you're taking these traumatized kids and then you're traumatizing some, them some more and then you're not giving them healing tools to cope with literally being a warrior? The most brave thing you could do with your body and your mind? You're not giving us any tools? You've got all of these broken superheroes roaming this planet, truly. We just need to learn how to heal. And if, if I don't speak on that, um, I will be doing our, I'll be doing this all a disservice because I do feel a little bit like I've cracked the code. You know, we got to get on the same page. We got to get our people some help. You know, no matter how you feel about, about some of the things that have happened in the veteran community in the past year, because it's, it's been beautiful and it's been ugly. Right. Absolutely. Um, you, you know, the insurrection gave me a migraine so badly and then I got COVID the next day. So my goodness, you know, thank God you were talking about plant-based earlier. Thank God for my plant-based diet for the fact that I quit smoking in April and, um, you know, hydration and physical fitness are so important to me because I thought I was going to die. I've, I've never been in that much pain in my life. Um, We've, we've all as a collective been through a lot this year and we've had some fights and we've had some, you know, some tough, some tough conversations have been had, but as a collective on this planet, we all need some friggin' healing. Like, Oh girl, I, I feel that through and through. I think uh, on my other show, Hot Topics Live, we talk a lot about this kind of stuff 
And I've been saying since this began that those of us who have dealt with PTSD and anxiety and depression and have worked on ourselves and have done the healing work are the ones who need to be out here on the front line again, helping everybody because what we've just experienced was a collective trauma and people who have never had mental health issues have something now. Kids, kids, children that experienced this past year, they didn't just experience having to say goodbye to their friends and not knowing when they were going to see them again, having to deal with their parents in the same house who weren't super stressed because people just lost their jobs. How are we going to feed these kids? I'm trying to work this job, you know? And then on top of that, they watched people being brutally murdered on the news every day and then folks screaming about it. You know, imagine being a child this year. Imagine, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I've, I have some wonderful girlfriends who are, and they've shared with me this, this experience. I mean, being a child this year, those kids are warriors, right? Like mm-hmm. warriors need healing. You, you I have gotta, to. Gotta break. Ugh, too. I have to. And I got a chance to witness their perspective of this from a teenager standpoint and from a small child lab five and 14. So each of them experienced this year vastly differently, but each of them had serious moments where I was concerned for them and had yeah. to make adjustments in our lifestyle accordingly for their well-being to help them get through it as best as possible and help them sort of heal, but in in a capacity that they were able to do it, like for their appropriate age level. So it's it's something, girl. I just, one of my best friends, actually probably the best friend, she has a five-year-old and it's his first week this week of kindergarten and she couldn't walk him in. Yeah. Girl. Like I, I have tears in my eyes. Just my heart. My nephew, she's my best friend. I've known him since he was, since she was pregnant with him, you know, and that's such a moment for a mother and for a son. And she's just like, he just, he just walked up there. I mean, I don't know if anyone's going to help him, but you know, and I'm like, you're, you're going to be fine. And and everything is going to be fine because we're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But th- that's a real experience that nobody prepared you for, you know. It, a year ago, they were telling us it's going to be two weeks. And now I- I'm telling you about my best friend that can't walk her son into kindergarten. So yeah. there's there's macro, there's micro, there's so many levels to this. Mm-hmm. Um, my kid's school shut down permanently. It took me two years oh. to find that school for my kid. Right. And COVID shut them down permanently. It was an amazing school. Those kids loved it. The teachers were incredible. It was an, a wonderful environment. And now it's gone. And I tried to put my kid in school the beginning of the year. And every place I called back in September, October, and November was like the kid had to be at the school last year in order to go here. Or we're only yeah. servicing a certain community. Or like, and I'm just like, wow, I can't even put my kid in school. Now I got to homeschool and I homeschool the oldest one. So it was like, not a big deal, but I, I work from home now. My oldest one is self. He's an independent studier now. 
right? He has online curriculum. But when he was small, I did all his lesson plans, all his everything for him. And I just, I, I'm, I'm not a stay-at-home mom anymore. I work all the time. And so um, <laughs> I'm trying to do that again, was just like, oh my God, what, how am I going to manage this? So definitely I, my heart goes out to all of those parents that never homeschooled and had to figure it out and work from home and do all of this, this whole year. I, I remember I have, I had, I'm very fortunate and blessed to have some very intelligent parents. Right. And I was always in advanced classes and I remember sitting down at the table as a kid with my calculus book and my dad with his head in his hands and me being like, what? My proof is great. Like, and that's, that's with somebody who has a degree in mathematics. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for parents that, you know, maybe you're a real estate agent and you're really good at that, but your kids over here with, you know, American history homework, what? this isn't my job. And then teachers are over here trying their best to do it on a computer. It's mm-hmm. one of my girlfriends, her dad is a teacher and he's been a teacher. He's like about to retire. Computers are not in his wheelhouse, man. Yeah. It's just, it's just hard all around for everybody. For everybody. Like, everybody had to adapt. Everybody had to, I mean, I hope have some compassion for themselves because listen, my financial goals, my, all of my goals that I had set for 2020, I, I had to make huge adjustments for like, okay, yeah, we're not buying your baby girl. Mm-mm, that's not, <laughs> that's comedy. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, you know, everybody had big dreams that you, you have to adjust and, you know, it, it's going back and forth between like, am I the one that's messing up here or am I doing my best? I think I'm doing my best. Yeah. But we don't, we don't have a point of reference for this kind of year. Like there's no, yeah. So it's, I feel like, I mean, it, and it, it's this way for me, for sure. I've had tough conversations with family members that I probably need to go back in and be like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> no. Um, and I've had conversations with family members that that's exactly where I'm going to leave it. I mean, we had such a shakeup, such a reckoning and we just all, I think, need to take several deep breaths and go, okay, well, we're breathing and we're here and we're about to come back out into the world. What kind of pack, what kind of set of tools do I have? Because we need tools. This is going to be a new world that we're going to. The way that we used to live is gone. It's not that way anymore. Sure. So, you know, talking about veterans, especially women veterans, um, I think now is the time, if there's ever been time now is the time for us to really kind of support one another you know okay you know what maybe back when we were stationed with each other back in 2005 I said some shit I shouldn't have said or you acted a fool or whatever but how are you doing like mm-hmm. let's, let's check be- in yeah like I almost posted something about that today but decided to hold off because I'm tiptoeing back into like public life but you know I want to know how people are doing you know yeah like, are you hey, that stimulus check? Did you do something nice for yourself? Mm-hmm. Please tell me you did. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the reality of our our lives has shifted quite a bit, and I think we have to really be compassionate with one another as we move forward. It's the only way we're going to have a world that doesn't look like what it just looked like, right? Yeah. Like 
we, we literally experienced hell on earth. Like everybody was dying and, and burning and we had the worst leadership you could possibly imagine trying to drive the ship, which was a joke. So, you know, we're trying to find our way back and battling and fighting with each other is not how we're going to get there. I agree. I agree. I know that about 50% of the country would disagree with your idea on <laughs> leadership, but, um, but it, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. I'll just leave it there. Cause you know, the female veterans podcast is bipartisan, but, um, <laughs> but we're just going to leave it there. But I will say, I will say that I think we got to recover and I think that a huge part of that recovery is people like yourself doing what you do and helping people heal and just, you know, creating such a beautiful organization like you and your co-founder are doing to just spread that message out. And I, I guess I want to ask, how did you, how did you decide to, to start doing that? Was it, oh, did you just, after you've gone through all of your your trauma, you, you got yourself, did this happen when you were getting yourself clean or what was the time difference? Yeah. I'd love to answer that question. And it's kind of complicated, but as you know, my last name is heal, um, heal like the verb. Um, it's, it's been a great source of pride for everyone on my father's side of the family for generations. My grandfather was, um, a prolific scholar who, um, published a lot of books as a professor of special education, specifically with um, special needs students. I have a lot of very accomplished scholars, service members, athletes in my family. And um, I've been told for many years that, you know, you've been given a lot of gifts, make sure you do something great with it. That's something that my mother told me all the time, like you, you have the ability to make friends everywhere. So make sure that you make good friends. And I'm at a place in my life now where I'm blessed to say I have a wealth of incredible friends who have supported me through my healing, who have been there for me and cried with me in the depths of my despair. And one of those friends is my business partner. His name is Bolo Odunikin. And he met me when I first moved to San Francisco and was a teacher with a cocaine habit. And he was like, man, you're so cool, but I, I can't get too close to you because like, I see you're the pain, yeah. you know? And um, that was a tough relationship to navigate for a while because of that. And for so long, he would say to me, like, you're so smart. You're so capable. You're so this, you're so that. Your last name is Heal, dude. He said it to me one day. And that's that's the biggest reason why I call him a co-founder. But also he has supported me through my healing. He supported me as I've traveled the country, talking my shit, saying the things I needed to say while working on my self-care and, and answering the phone every time I didn't know what to do. Um, we've been dreaming and talking about the Heal Network before I was healing, you know, when we knew I needed to heal. Um, and so it's been a dream for years and through my healing in the past year, traveling the country, working with a number of veteran service organizations and other nonprofits, um, and other community organizers, the whole that I see is that we all need healing. 
everybody, right? The veteran community, one million, gazillion, quadrillion percent, people of color, folks in the Asian community, the LGBTQIA plus community. Just if you are a human being that, that survived this year, you are a warrior who needs breaks and a vacation. And um, what healing. we are, yeah. Um, what the Heal Network is building is a series of uh, events. Some are online, some are socially distanced. Right now we're focusing in Oakland, but we'll be expanding that very soon. Services that help folks get their resume together. Services that help you put together a branding plan. Services that teach you how to run your business. Do you need help writing a business plan? From my experience in all these different areas of my own career and also the folks that I'm aligning with on my team, we have a group of excellence, of educated people who know what it means to suffer, who know what you need to heal. Social workers, doctors. um, My business partner has a degree in biology and he's also very passionate. He He was an athlete, also very passionate about health and how we can promote a healthy experience in our lives moving forward. So I'm very excited to be in, the, be in this place in my life where I have the opportunity to bring my, all of my passions together and bring people together. Um, I'm very humbled by it. And I'm, I'm just doing my best to, to be my mother's daughter. You know what I mean? That's what this is about for me. It's about so many folks that have been suffering that, you know, my mom is my angel. And I say that every chance I get, she suffered with an illness that, you know, she was ahead ahead of her time in in a way that, you know, now we talk about mental illness in a much different way than, than we did when my mother, when I was growing up and, you know, she suffered in silence a lot. I didn't really know that she was sick, really understand it um, until I was 26 and she died six months later. So um, I'm deeply thankful that I had time with her to talk about it because, Mm -hmm. you know, she told, I told her, I'm going to write about this. I have to. And she said, I know you know, we understand that it can hurt some people, but she told me about what it was like, you know, growing up in the seventies, having to, having her kids in the late eighties, having young children in the nineties as she's suffering with experiences, hearing voices with mania, with believing, hearing voices in her head and not being sure if she should listen to them. I mean, that was my mother's experience. So the world did not know how to support her. And she was a brilliant newspaper editor. She, um, she worked in the Champaign public school system as a science curriculum person. My mom was so smart, so great. And she just didn't have the support to figure out how to handle her mental illness. And um, the biggest thing that drives me is that I don't want any other mothers to suffer the way my mother did. You know? So I really feel that. That's what this is. Um, that's what the Heal Network is here for. That is what you know. It's 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 my last name, yeah. But it's it's I'm just the mouthpiece for a much bigger bigger thing that's really for everyone. And that's why I just love you because <laughs> because it's so beautiful. How can you not love that? I mean, he's right. Your last name is Heal. Like it's a, it's like a ready-made platform for you to go out and a message for you to go out and share. And if there's anything that I know right now, 
everything is all about healing. Anything that you want to achieve in this life, if you really want it, the first step is healing. It's healing from something, whatever it is that's holding you back, right? You can, you can mask, you can, you can avoid, you can escape whatever turmoil is inside, whatever you've been through. You can push it down, bottle it up, but it's going to show up. It's going to show up one way or another. And until you do the work, until you process through that pain and, and through all of that energy that's stored in you that needs an outlet that you might be using as your mm-hmm. outlet, right? You Until you heal that, then you're never going to be able to reach the level of life you want or experience the kind of love you want to experience or be just the best that you can be, you know? And it, it all starts with that choice to go, okay, you know, I'm going to go heal. And yours was, okay, I promise you, my friend, I'm going to go to the VA hospital and I'm going to turn myself in. Right. It's, it's all in that one choice, that moment that you're like, okay, I got to heal. And now that you're, you're taking that message out to the world and giving it to so many communities that need it and providing them with resources to build a better future for themselves. I mean, what is not to love about that? Like, I want to just tell everybody. In fact, I kind of am right now. (laughs) I I certainly welcome you to tell everybody. Um, Because this is, you know, like I said, this this ain't about me. It really isn't. This is, this healing is for everybody. And that's really our message. Um, And we we really want to help folks heal and bring on as many people as we possibly can, because there's so many great creators out there with, the same type of education and experience that I'm talking about mm-hmm. who have been a part of the corporate system for a very long time who, you know what? We're all tired. Come on down and get some healing. Okay. <laughs> like, listen, we we all need to learn something. Somebody needs to learn about cryptocurrency. Somebody else needs to learn about marketing. Somebody else needs to learn about how to make their LinkedIn pop in. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. we can help each other. And we can start to build the career that we want. We can start to build the kind of vacations that we want. We can start to build the type of holistic healing practices that are catered towards our own cultures, our own needs. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That is where the healing really, it has to be, you know, you talk about holistic healing. We got to talk about the whole of our parts here, right? Mm-hmm. It's great if you're eating right and you're drinking water, but how's your portfolio looking? And do you even know what your 401k looks like? Mm-hmm. That's some healing that I had to take care of this year. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. I had to sit down with myself and say, okay, honey, you are in your 30s now. You are not in your 20s. Let's look at these credit cards. Let's look at these loans. Let's look at this stuff. What have you been doing? Because you haven't been thinking. And that's a part of my healing. You know, Just because my parents didn't teach me about this stuff, doesn't mean that I can continue to use as it as an excuse because guess what I'm living in this body I'm here that's right that's so, right you know ain't nobody gonna house this chick but me so mm-hmm. what's up that's all a part of of our message we've we've got to really take stock of, of how we're doing without judgment too because it's like okay yeah we, we, we all got stuff to work on absolutely work on absolutely I mean it's the best thing you can do uh, across the board, there is always something that you can be working on 
And, and, and that's just helping you evolve and continue to grow because if, if you are not growing, you're stagnating. And that means something's not right going on with this life experience, right? You've got to push out, push out of that comfort zone, take a deep look inward and do the work. I mean, even if the thing that you need to focus more on is, hey, you know what? I need to take 20 minutes out of my day where I'm just meditating or breathing or Mm -hmm. doing something that isn't for someone else. That's for me. That's self-love. <laughs> I mean, there's so many women, I feel like we're always going, we have to take care of the kids, we have to take care of our job, we have to take care of the house, we have to, how's our girlfriend doing? How's my mom? How's my aunt? How's my sister? I've got to pick up my dry cleaning. Okay, but like, what are you doing for you? Because that's a whole lot of things for a whole lot of people. So true. So true. That self-love is the root to all of it. I'm guilty of it. I have, I'm very thankful I have people in my life who say to me like, are you sleeping enough? I, I see you real worried about me. You came over here to cook me a meal, but like, how is your fridge? You know, and we need to be that way yes. with each other. We need to support each other and check in because mm-hmm. the thing is mental health ain't nothing to play with, man. No, no. You start to let things slip. And then before you know it, you're, you're in a mental health crisis. It, it can happen to anyone. And, you know, that, that's why we all need healing. Well, I love everything that you're doing. And I know that I have been very selfish with your time today. And I oh. appreciate, <laughs> I really appreciate you spending so much of your afternoon with me. So I just have a couple more questions for you. And I guess you have actually dropped a lot of really dope advice <laughs> throughout this whole interview, What's or I should say conversation, because <laughs> it's more like a yeah. we're talking stories here. But, um, what advice would you give to your veteran sisters coming behind you so that they can thrive in life? Um, ask as many questions as you possibly can from women who are doing what you want to do. You see a woman that has been out for five years and she's got a successful business or a successful corporate career and she's accomplished some serious goals. Ask her if you can ask her some questions. That's number one. Make sure that you have a community that you're checking in with. So that kind of goes in with with the asking of the questions. It's very important to have a support system of folks who know how to navigate the VA claims process, the VA hospital whole deal, right? Um, Using your GI Bill. All of these things are, are separate things with under the VA umbrella. And you have to have a point of contact for all of these people. That's very important that you have someone who is a trusted mentor who will help you navigate the system. Because I'm going to be honest, that system is extremely, extremely bureaucratic. But after years and years as a combat veteran, I realized how to navigate the system as an MST veteran simply because I'm a combat veteran. I got a lot of good treatment because, you know, I went to war. So, and that's just a reality. You know, women veterans don't have as much access to our benefits as our male counterparts. And I can say that because I've, I'm a part of a very masculine community within the veteran community. Also, yeah, make sure you, that you have, have folks that will help you navigate the system. The biggest one, have a self-care plan. You can, it's not just about, you know, yes. okay. I'm in school. I got to make sure I have a job. I got to make sure I'm paying my rent and my utilities and my credit cards. Yes. All, all that is very important. What's also important is that you are taking time to breathe 
and process the fact that you are going through a major life change after doing something that only a small population of women do in this country. You are a warrior and you need to rest. It's just as important as setting up your life. So if you can get folks to help you in that, I recommend it, man. If you convene your family or friends, it's not the best time to go travel the world by yourself. Take a minute. Get a stable place that is yours, a soft place to land that you trust, and surround yourself with things that you love. Write down a list of the hobbies that you that you used to love maybe before the military, stuff that you want to pursue now just because. Take take some painting classes, you know, learn a new dance. Like there's so much life to live that's separate from your experience and your identity as a veteran. Like there's so much out there that you can that you can do. And I think a lot of times people start to get, you know, they start to transition out and they go, oh my gosh, I thought I was going to be in forever or, oh, I'm this, who am I now? Well, it's a very exciting actually, because you get to, you get to figure out who you are. (laughs) Oh, maybe you're someone who loves painting and you didn't even know it. Maybe that skill set of putting guns together for a gazillion years is actually a skill set for for making things and crafting things. You know, there's, I found that my military experience allowed me to be a great hairstylist. And it also allowed me to be a great teacher and a great leader, a great speaker. I mean, there's so many things that it, that it can prepare you for. And there's so much out there that you can do. There's so much. That is exceptional advice as I knew it would be. But I, <laughs> I I do have one more piece of advice I'm gonna ask you really specifically for. And um I'm gonna ask you what you would recommend as a starting point if someone is ready to begin to heal, how would they begin? Um I think the first step is to have a conversation with yourself. I actually, there's, you can find it on my Instagram. There's a love letter that I wrote myself one day. Um, I was really coked out and I had to, had a speaking appearance uh, where I was supposed to read a poem and I hadn't read, I hadn't written the poem yet. And I had a breakdown. I was really upset with myself. And I said, you know what? No. Okay. I know I have a problem. I know that. That's no secret. What do I love about myself though? Like, why am I worth it? Why am I worth stopping this? And I wrote myself a love letter and it's, it's actually a poem called if you wrote yourself a love letter. And the question is, what would it say? I wrote down all the reasons why I love myself. And that was something that I had never done before, you know, especially someone who'd been abused and, and gone through all these horrible things. I mean, I didn't have the best opinion of myself for a long time. So I started to go, well, what's so great about me? And I, I, I found a lot of things. And then from there I went, okay, well, I deserve, I deserve to heal. And what, what does that step look like? But I think the first is you have to find your why first. And the reality is, is, you know, listen, if you are someone who served your freaking country and you went through all of that discipline, the hard lessons and the training and the pomp and the circumstance and all the rules and you know, it's like learning another language when you join the military. If you are someone that can get through all of that and still be here, 
you can get through this. You can go find yourself. And I, I, yeah, I mean, I certainly did. And it started with writing myself a love letter. And then I went, okay, who can help me? And I went to the VA. And then I went, okay, who can help me through this VA process? I actually, um, there were a lot of groups online, especially on Facebook, um, Mm. for veterans. And, you know, it's like dating. It's like, it's like finding a therapist. It's like anything else. I mean, you're going to meet people that you don't really jive with and you're going to meet people that you really align with. Find the folks you align with, find a team, find a support system. And you know what? Get on with your damn life. Like you got this. There's so much out there, you know? Yes. Yes. That is beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing it. Um, I know that you said that um, you mentioned your Instagram. So if we want to follow your journey and support you, how can we track you down? Oh, I would love that. <laughs> um, my, in- my personal Instagram is at the real Pamela heel. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, our organization is at the heel network. Uh, work is spelled W E R K. Work, 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 work. And yeah, you can find us on the gram. And um, I would, I would love to, share the journey, the healing process, all of the wonderful people that, you know, we've, we're going to be highlighting, um, in the months and the years, God willing to come, you know, it, it, this is the age for healers. The time is now the time, the time for healing is now for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Pam, I want to, it's actually my sister's name. I actually, yeah, I actually, um, I know I've said this already, but I'm so honored that you would give me your first interview back out um, after your hibernation. And, um, and I'm so thrilled to have this time to connect with your energy um, and, and to really learn what you're, what you're all about and what your organization is, organization is doing, um, to really help people to, to heal and to thrive, which is what I'm all about. Everybody knows that. <laughs> so, um, I'm so grateful to you for coming to be a guest. Thank you so much for spending so much time with me today. Oh, I, I really, I'm thankful that we got to have it. I feel like the more we talk, the more I realize that we are, are aligned. So that's really cool. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to listening to more of your podcast. Some of the some of the folks that you were highlighting sound like really cool people. So um sounds like you're building some great stuff over here. So thank you for thank you for picking me. I appreciate it. It's nice to have a really uplifting and real conversation with someone about, you know, the things that we're facing and also the things that, you know, like we got this. Like we just just listen to just listen to women and you got <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, I totally that? know. Oh. Like, <laughs> let us go, dude. Like, I, I promise you're going to be fine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you guys, you know that I will put all of Pamela Heal's information in my show notes in the description box below. It's what the episode description is. So if you haven't found that, you can check it out there and you'll find her Instagram and everywhere you can find her. Um, Please go and support what she's doing, get involved, refer people to it because you never know. I mean, if you know someone who needs to heal, I mean, it's 
it's kind of obvious, send them to her. <laughs> and, um, and so we can all help each other walk in this life a little bit more happier, a little bit more at peace and with a lot more love. So as always, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for all of your support. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Thank you for everyone who's been donating to support this channel. Super, super unnecessary, but always grateful for that. And um, well, I love you guys and I will talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.